Guitarathon is the greatest guitar sale on earth, and it's happening now. Get massive savings on a huge selection of electric and acoustic guitars, basses, amps, pedals, and other accessories. Get select Ernie Ball strings, three for ten. Save $100 on a Fender Special Edition Strat, or get a Yamaha acoustic for just $199. Plus, get special financing on select major brands. Don't miss these incredible deals. Available online and in store now through November 1st. Guitarathon, only at Guitar Center. Find your sound. You are Locked On Raptors, your daily Toronto Raptors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 116 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, April 6th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean, and the show is on Twitter as well, at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single show. Locked On Raptors is also part of the Locked On Podcast Network, which hosts team-specific shows for all 30 NBA teams, as well as Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd and Locked On NBA with David Locke, and you can find those all together on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. The playoff chase is obviously heating up, and it's kind of murky right now, but if you're interested at all in teams that your favorite team might end up playing in the playoffs, find the Locked On show for that team. Uh, so if you're a Rockets fan, for example, listen to Locked on Thunder with Fred Katz and uh, kind of get the latest on the team that you might come across in the playoffs. That's uh, not a bad way to go about checking out the network and finding out some new shows, finding some hosts that you like. And if you like those shows, you can leave a rating or a review on their iTunes pages and you can do that with us as well. Locked on Raptors is on iTunes on its own separate page and you can leave a rating or a review. It is the easiest possible way for you to help out the show, show that you care. And I really do appreciate the feedback. It helps to inform the show going forward and uh, it's, a, it's a big help and I really do appreciate it. So on today's show, a bit of a change of plans, actually. Originally, I was going to run the interview with Chris Zielinski, who is the uh, culinary director for MLSC and for the Air Canada Centre and BMO Field and the Raptors and a whole bunch of your favorite sports teams. Uh, I was going to run the interview with him today, but, you know, things happened last night. I expected it to be a ho-hum uh, potential schedule loss to the Pistons on Wednesday night, and of course... The Raptors never do it by the book, and Kyle Lowry decided to make his return kind of unexpectedly, and it was fantastic. Uh, so we're going to focus on that today. Tomorrow on Friday, I'll run the interview with Chris Zielinski. Bit of a lighter thing. Won't really preview the Heat game all that much. The games don't have a whole lot of meaning at this point, so instead of you know previewing the game intently, I'll just sort of you know have a nice lighter episode on Friday, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but yeah, today, Lowry returned, and the game against Detroit ended up being a whole lot more fun and uh, you know heart-wrenching than I think most people expected. You know, I was going in just kind of looking at this game as it doesn't really mean a whole lot and then of course an hour before game time Kyle Lowry is announced that he's going to come back and play for the Raptors and of course that changes things because once Lowry's involved you're really looking for things you know how is Lowry going to incorporate with Serge Ibaka and PJ Tucker how is DeMar DeRozan going to adjust to having Lowry back and you know him not being the sort of focal point of the offense anymore I mean he was still a focal point as we'll get to but you know having those two guys be the two-pronged attack instead of the one man sort of show it's been with DeMar DeRozan for a while now uh, you know, it was going to be interesting to see how those two sort of gelled and, you know, figured out how to, you know, take the balance between taking the reins and playing off ball and all that stuff. You know, that was the important stuff from this game to watch for. And the Raptors had a really rough start. They, they lost the first quarter 33-15. Uh, we're down by 20 at one point in the first quarter, or sorry, the first half. And it was just uh, a really sort of timid start by the Raptors on offense in particular. There was just no flow. It really did seem like Lowry and DeRozan were kind of wrestling with who was going to initiate things. They kept kind of deferring back and forth to each other. wasn't really a whole lot of, you know, deliberate action by any of them. And you had some struggles going on as well. Serge Ibaka had a really rough night. Um, his second straight pretty bad game. He was not at all effective against the Pacers. And he was really not good last night um, up until the fourth quarter, I guess. He just he couldn't really get a shot going. He was 0-5 from 3 at one point. It was 13 straight threes he had missed. He missed all of his threes against the Pacers on Tuesday. 
And for Ibaka to struggle, like, that wasn't ideal. And the Raptors, you know, they just couldn't get anything going. Their, their shots weren't falling, and they were really getting sort of, you know, picked apart on defense by the Pistons. I mean, Lowry looked really good, and he came out firing. He, his first shot was a made three. Um, he picked up a couple assists here and there. He finished the first half with 16 points, two rebounds, three assists, uh, had two of four threes, you know, five of 11 from the field. He looked really solid and really comfortable. And then, you know, the, the rest of the team just wasn't really there. And, and Lowry's defense, too, wasn't all that spectacular. I mean, Ish Smith kind of victimized him, got past him a lot, and sort of, you know, put the Balanchunas-Lowry combination and the pick-and-roll into the blender. And, uh, you know, Ish Smith kind of had his way. And it was really just kind of a, an underwhelming first half from the Raptors overall. And, and you know, the, the one sort of saving grace was that Lowry looked comfortable. Everything else didn't really work. Uh, again, the defense was, was piss poor. And, you know, DeRozan had a really tough time shooting. He missed two of his... He only made two of his first 14 shots. Demari Carroll only played 13 minutes. He was 0-4 from three. Has really struggled of late, of course, shooting. Uh, and we can get into what his 13 minutes kind of means and, you know, the implications of the minutes distribution in this game going forward. But... Uh, just overall, a really bad first half, and there was just nothing really to latch on to as something that the Raptors did well, aside from Lowry looking comfortable. Um, but, you know, it, it was I was fine with it. I mean, the Raptors, if they were going to lose that game, fine. Like, at this point, um, before last night, where some clarity was actually kind of reached in the Eastern Conference, just a tiny little bit, which we'll get to, um, you know, I was just kind of looking at every game like, yeah, win or lose, like, we don't really know what it's going to mean for the Raptors. The Eastern Conference is such a jumble right now. You had that Cavs-Celtics game last night that was really going to sort of dictate the 1-2 seed, I think. And it's just like, I don't know, there was just no real sort of urge to get up or down for any of these games. And I, and I was just kind of like, all right, we'll see what happens. And if the Raptors fall to 4, they fall to 4. If they stay at 3, they stay at 3. I still think the Raptors were going to win at any first-round series, and you just kind of deal with the second-round matchup as it comes. So I was kind of just not at all invested in any of these games. But last night, uh, the Raptors turned things around. The third quarter, they played a little bit better, had a you know a decent run to start the third. I think they got it to within 5, but then they kind of uh, you know pissed it all away again. And it lo- looked like they were going to go into the fourth just you know kind of looking to mail it in and sort of get out of this game and, and leave with a loss. Uh, the Raptors were down 12 heading into the fourth, and then things really changed in the fourth. The Raptors kind of caught fire. Kyle Lowry in particular caught fire. Um, you know, I mentioned he was 5 of 11 in the first half. He finished the game 9 of 16, so he was 4 of 5 in the second half, getting to the basket all like pretty much at will whenever he wanted to, and was really sort of setting guys up as well. He finished the night with 27 points, 10 assists, 5 rebounds, 2 steals, took a huge charge late in the game as well. Uh, 9 of 16 from the field, 7 of 7 from the line, just no ill effects being shown by Lowry whatsoever, and it was just so much more than I would have expected from him in his first game back, and I think maybe the most encouraging thing was the 42 minutes, because, you know, going into the game, there was no talk of any minutes restriction for Lowry, and I was kind of on board with just getting Lowry as many minutes as possible. I know there were some people out there kind of fretting about how many minutes he was going to play, and, and sort of like, oh, he's already played 21 minutes in the first half, oh, boogeyman, but, like, Lowry hasn't played for two and a half months, like, the minutes... Thing, I really feel like the you know the high minutes totals really sort of take effect um, and are detrimental when there's a lot of those games in a row. I mean, Lowry hasn't played since mid-February. He obviously needed to get his legs under him. His defense wasn't there in the first half. The foot speed defensively just was non-existent. And I have no problem with Dwayne Casey running him out there for 42 minutes last night. It was necessary to get him back into game shape because you can do all you want in practice. You can keep up your cardio while you're not... Uh, in the game and you know Lowry had the luxury of doing that because it wasn't a you know a lower body injury that he was dealing with but you know the fact that you you go a month and a half without playing in a game you're going to lose a bit of that speed you're going to lose a bit of that sort of you're going to lose the lungs a little bit I think just not playing at that pace with the sort of adrenaline uh, for you know long extended periods of time and for Lowry to get 42 minutes last night and to look you know no worse for wear afterwards 
and to you know really just shoot well and, and look comfortable in all facets of the game that was impressive and awesome and I really hope he gets kind of that same amount of minutes heading into the playoffs here because again he hasn't played for a month and a half you know just consider what he had off just as like a nice rest period for him a little bit I guess um, like he shouldn't be taxed too much and playing these 40 minute totals I don't think is going to be a bad thing and I think it actually is going to be more sort of you know representative of what he's going to do in the playoffs because he's going to have to play a ton of minutes in the playoffs as most stars do you're going to have to play more than 40 minutes a night rotations shorten and you know every possession is that much more important so you want to have Lowry out there as much as possible so I think the 42 minutes he played last night is going to resemble very much what he's going to play come playoff time so uh, fretting over that with four, four games left on the schedule is kind of useless to me so I wouldn't do that at all Uh, but yeah Lowry kind of led the charge early in the fourth quarter with a bit of a comeback and the Raptors got it to within seven and then there was this sort of sequence uh, you know the Raptors they were down by nine Lowry made a bucket and they got a quick steal right away and then set up PJ Tucker for a wide open three and PJ Tucker was just it was absurd how open he was at the top of the key um, and he had already been three of three from the night from from long distance, and it was like, all right, PJ, he's on, he's on fire, he's going to hit this, uh, get the Raptors to within four, and then he missed it, and it kind of felt like that might have been the Raptors' last chance. The offense wasn't like humming at like a great rate or anything, thing like that. It was fine or whatever, but um, you know they they hadn't been scoring at will at that point. And then after that miss, the the Pistons grabbed a rebound and called a timeout. And DeMar DeRozan came back into the game. He didn't play the first seven minutes of the fourth quarter. He only finished with 34 minutes on the night. So he's the guy I think you want to try to ease the minutes load of if there's anybody considering what he's done with Lowry. But either way, I digress. Uh, DeRozan came in with five minutes left and immediately kind of made an impact on the game. Again, he started the game two of 14. He finished the game hitting his last three shots. One of them was a dagger shot. Um, went with the Raptors up two, uh, 102-100. Uh, very Kobe-esque, just pull-up mid-range jumper. Very patented DeMar shot. And uh, he also fi- he also finished the game with 10 assists, which was amazing. The one assist was to Serge Ibaka, uh, a nice, beautiful cross-court pass for, a, for an Ibaka three. It was his first made three of the game. Um, he set up Balanchunas, I think, at one point. It was just a really nice, you know, solid playmaking performance from DeRozan. The Raptors finished with 29 assists in this game. 20 of those came from Lowry and DeRozan, which uh, if you're going to have that two-pronged sort of shot creation and sort of setting guys up with those two guys... Um, that becomes really hard for teams to deal with in the playoffs because you, like having as many playmakers on the floor as you can have is obviously uh, kind of at a premium in the NBA these days. And to have two elite guys like Lowry and DeRozan sort of being able to play off of one another and go back and forth, that's going to be huge for the Raptors. It's going to be really hard for teams to sell out to stop one of them with the other one being so dangerous. And I think it's been good for DeRozan over the last little while here with Lowry out that he's been able to hone himself as a playmaker. We've seen some really high assist totals from him lately. Uh, I think he got 10 last week in a game as well. And he's been just fantastic in that regard. And even when he wasn't shooting well, again, he only scored 12 points on 17 shots, got to the line just three times, made two of them. For him to have a good impact on the game and be there in crunch time, just sort of you know pulling the Raptors to a win and sort of taking over the offensive load from Lowry late in the game with three buckets, I mean, that is, it's a dangerous thing to have in the playoffs, to have two guys playing at this level. It's, uh, it's really encouraging, and people should be very excited about what this team can do in the playoffs with Lowry back. And to have four games of Lowry to sort of iron things out is uh, is really great. Jonas Valanciunas was awesome last night, too, on the pick and roll especially. And I've kind of been preaching this for the last year or so, that Valanciunas, he's going to be most effective and get most of his touches on the in the pick and roll. You know, the post touches are nice. He can do it, but they're not really within the flow of the Raptors' offense. They're not within the flow of any offense in today's NBA. And when Valanciunas can, you know, roll to the rim, be a huge target, and sort of just kind of impose his physical, you know, stature on guys, 
and you know be be able to catch the ball high, keep the ball up high, and finish. That is a really nice asset for the Raptors. And he was nine of eleven last night for nineteen points, five boards, two assists as well, which was great to see. Um, yeah, Valanciunas was awesome last night. He always tends to carve apart the, the Pistons and Andre Drummond. And uh, you know, if the Raptors get a similar matchup in a first round series, like a guy who is a traditional sort of rim rolling center, maybe you know a John Henson type against the Bucks, or if you get Dwight Howard against the the, the Atlanta Hawks. I think Valanciunas stands to be really effective in the playoffs, and the pick and roll is going to be a huge factor of that. I mean, him rolling to the basket is one of the more unguardable targets in the league. Yeah, he's not skying for alley-oops, but he's such a physical dude who just is stronger than most people. Uh, I just I don't really see many guys being able to stop him on the pick and roll. So keep an eye out for that. If the Raptors can sort of hone that chemistry, Lowry obviously has the best chemistry with all of the Raptors' bigs. I mean, he had this crazy lob to Yaka uh, Pertle last night that you just don't see from anyone else on the Raptors. He was really just able to uh, affect the game in so many ways. And uh, lots of nice performances as well. PJ, uh, Patrick Patterson had a good game. He had 10 points. He didn't play a whole lot. He only played 16 minutes. Kind of lost his crunch time role. And lost mo- minutes to uh, P.J. Tucker at the start of the fourth quarter as well, if I remember correctly. Um, just kind of, you know, P.J. Tucker really looks like he's going to be one of the four or five guys that Dwayne Casey trusts most. And I guess we can kind of get into the sort of implications of this game because we got some hints as to what the Raptors might look like come playoff time from this game. And uh, I think the big thing for sure is the Kyle Lowry in the bench unit because, um, you know, that's kind of been a staple of the Raptors. You start second quarters with Lowry, you take him out a little bit early in the first quarter, sort of like the nine-minute mark, and uh, and then you have DeRozan finish out the quarter with the rest of the guys, and then you start the, the, the second quarter with uh, Kyle Lowry and some bench guys. And usually it's four bench guys. It's been, you know, variations of Corey Joseph with Patrick Patterson, and then insert wing and big here, whether it's Jakob Pertl or, or Lucas Nogueira or Terrence Ross, Norm Powell, whoever. That's usually the sort of makeup of that second unit, and of course that hasn't happened since Kyle Lowry went down with injury, and the Raptors have been forced to sort of improvise in those stretches where DeRozan's off the floor. It's really nice to have Lowry back and not have any minutes of a game where Lowry or DeRozan is off the floor. I mean, that is just such a an asset to have, to have two guys who can carry the team like that and you, you being able to stagger your stars. I mean, you have a lot of teams where you just have one star and you just can't stagger. We saw it last year uh, with the Indiana Pacers. And, you know, when Paul George was off the floor, it was a lot easier for the Raptors to operate. And, of course, the Game 5 comeback was entirely initiated by Paul George being off the floor for way too damn long. Obviously, George Hill was out of that game as well um, on the bench with Paul George, and it sort of facilitated the Raptors' comeback. But uh, it's nice to have two guys who you can rely upon to lead units, and I think DeRozan got a lot better as well leading units by himself. There was a time where, you know, the units that DeRozan was the main guy on without Lowry next to him, where they'd be negatives a lot of the time. But he led the Raptors to a damn impressive net rating by himself, essentially, without Lowry over the last 21 games. And, uh, I mean, we saw how effective the Raptors have been in fourth quarters without Lowry, just, you know, focusing on DeRozan. So I think DeRozan's just going to be better now as a guy who can lead those units without Lowry next to him. Um, so that's another bonus for the Raptors, too. And, you know, so what what we saw at the start of the second quarter was Lowry uh, with a unit of Corey Joseph, as usual, Patrick Patterson, of course, uh, and then Serge Ibaka and... P.J. Tucker. So you factor in, you know, the the sort of three big reserves off the bench, and then you have uh, Abaka and and Lowry as well. And I think that's going to be kind of the second unit the Raptors roll with. I mean, if the Raptors are cutting it down to eight guys, those will be the top three reserves the Raptors are going to: Tucker, Patterson, and uh, and Joseph. 
And last night, Thon Wright got nine minutes of action. Jakob Pertl got 13. I really think that's going to kind of dry up in the playoffs as well. There might be games here and there where those guys get in for certain matchups or if, if a guy's struggling or if there's foul trouble or whatever. But I think Dwayne Casey uh, has kind of you know hinted that he's going to try to keep a tight eight-man rotation. I think we'll see, you know, obviously DeRozan and Lowry are going to play something around 40, 42 minutes a game. I think Serge Ibaka, Jonas Valanciunas, and Patrick Patterson, you know, between those three guys, you can divvy up 96 front court minutes between those three guys and, uh, and and be totally happy with it. And then you factor in Patrick, or sorry, PJ Tucker coming in and playing some of those minutes as well at the four. I think you could see Patterson's minutes cut down on a little bit there if you're going to have Tucker at the four a lot. Because those Tucker lineups at the four next to Ibaka have been, you know, deadly for the Raptors. I think John Schumann tweeted it out today that the Raptors are like a plus 21 or something like that with those two together in the front court. Um, in terms of net rating. So that's a, a really nice thing the Raptors can hang their hat on. And that's the really great thing about this Raptors team. They're so versatile. Even within those eight guys, they can roll out a whole lot of different kinds of lineups. They obviously can have lots of uh, ball handling on the floor with Lowry and Joseph. They can go sh- more with a more shooty lineup if they want. They can go like a Lowry, uh, Joseph, you know, Patterson, Carroll, and Ibaka lineup. There's a lot of different ways the Raptors can go out. You can go big, of course, with Valanciunas and Ibaka. There's, again, there's a lot of um, versatility with this team, and it's really encouraging to see, and it's exciting going into the playoffs for a team that just didn't have it last year. And I really do think it makes the Raptors a more formidable opponent than really anyone else in the Eastern Conference, uh, just because of all the sort of looks they can throw out there with their top eight guys. And I'll put the Raptors' top eight guys just in terms of depth up against anybody's. I mean, yeah, the top guys on Cleveland are a lot better, but I would take the Raptors' sort of four through eight guys over most teams. So that's really encouraging. Um, so yeah, I would, I would expect that to be the playoff rotation, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if P.J. Tucker plays like the fourth most amount of minutes on the team behind Ibaka, Lowry, and DeRozan. Just, it seems like Casey really likes having him out there. He's been hitting his threes a lot as a Raptor, which is great to see. Since the trade, he's shooting about 41% on 2.6 attempts a game, uh, which is something you'll definitely take. I mean, he's never really shot that well from three in his career. He had a nice season in 2013-14 where he, you know, approached 39%, but uh, to be right now at 41% over 21 games is uh, is really nice, and it really sort of limits the... I, I thought there was going to be issues with Tucker. I thought he might get the Tony Allen treatment. If he was going to shoot 33 34% from three, I thought teams would just sell out to have him be the guy taking a lot of the Raptors' shots when he's on the floor and just sort of funneling the action towards him, really selling out to stop DeRozan and Lowry and whoever else is out there, and uh, and just like putting a big man on him and just saying, all right, beat us, P.J. Tucker, go ahead. But if he's shooting 41%, like you can't really afford to do that, which is uh, a really nice luxury for the Raptors to have. Again, all of this is pointing in the, rex- in the direction of the Raptors being a really damn good playoff team. And it's nice to have every the sort of realized version of this team all together now. Here's hoping the last three games there's no injuries or anything like that because that would obviously suck and derail what's a really sort of positive wave right now for the team and just the fans seem really into it and excited. I'm back reinvigorated. I was kind of sort of, you know, drifting through the end of the season here just waiting for Lowry to come back. And I was energized like crazy last night when Lowry came in and played the way he did. And I'm just looking forward to the playoffs now in a much more excited and, and eager way. Uh, and I'm excited to watch these last three games just to see how things click even further. I think things that didn't quite happen last night, I think Lowry and Ibaka need to kind of hone their pick-and-pop chemistry because that's going to be a great weapon for the Raptors at some point. And Ibaka was kind of hesitant last night. He got a bit of the Patrick Patterson fever where he wasn't really shooting a ton of threes. He got a little apprehensive here and there. He tried to drive a couple times. And when he drives after uh, you know passing up a three, it's never that you know successful. So I think Ibaka's got to be a bit more decisive. I think him and Lowry got just kind of 
got to develop a little bit of chemistry there and just kind of know where each other's going to be. I think that'll come soon. It didn't take long for the Raptors to kind of figure things out with Lowry and it took like two and a half quarters. So all promising signs and also promising is how the Eastern Conference looks now. Uh, that, you know, the games last night kind of cleared things up a little tiny bit. Uh, Cleveland, of course, beat Boston. They now have the tiebreaker over them. They have the th- season series three to one. They're one game ahead in the standings. And with that tiebreaker, they're essentially two games ahead. So their magic number right now is three, I believe. And uh, yeah, I think it's three. And the Cavaliers, if they go uh, two and two for the last uh, four games they have, the, the the Celtics would have to go four and oh and sweep their remaining games in order to stick with the Cavs and, and, and take the one seed. And when it comes to the three seed, the Raptors are looking pretty good as well. The Raptors have three games left. Washington has four games remaining. And uh, the, if the Raptors go two and one in their final two games, which isn't crazy to think. I mean, you have the, the Heat on Friday. Uh, the Raptors are 2-1 and one against the Heat this season. The Heat have kind of fallen off a tiny little bit. Again, they're fighting for a playoff spot, but uh, you know that that should be a winnable game with Kyle Lowry back in the lineup. And then you have the Knicks on Sunday. Uh, that should be a winnable game too. And then the final game is that Cleveland game, and who knows what you know the resting situation is going to be there. But uh, you know the Raptors right now, if they go 2-1, and one, a totally realistic record in their final three games, Washington would have to go 4-0. In their remaining four games to uh, to take the to take the three seed from the Raptors, that just doesn't seem all that likely. The Wizards' schedule isn't all that hard in their four games. Three of them are on the road. Keep in mind, but they do play the Knicks tonight. Uh, that should be a win, you would think, for them. But they have two games against Miami. Again, Miami's fallen off a little tiny bit, but they're in that sort of race for the six, seven, eight seeds in the Eastern Conference and still very much alive. So you would think they'd be playing, you know, full bore in those games. And the final game of the season is in Miami. Uh, Wednesday, April 12th, same time as the Raptors and, and uh, Cavs game. So that'll be interesting to keep tabs on if the if it comes down to that. Another game the Wizards have is against the Pistons. I believe that's the Pistons' last game at the Palace, but we saw last night the Pistons are just kind of butt. I mean, <laughs> they should not have lost that game. They had four days off, and the Raptors were on a back-to-back, and they just could not seal, off, seal out that game. Um, so yeah, the Pistons are depressing and terrible, so that's probably a win. I, I could see 3-1 and one for the Wizards, in which case the Raptors would have to go 1-2 and two for Washington to take the 3 seed. I think the Raptors have this pretty much locked up. I mean, it's hard to predict anything in this stupid Eastern Conference because uh, things felt like they were locked up like three weeks ago and then everything kind of went to crap when the Raptors went on a win streak and the Hawks went on a losing streak and the Bucks got on fire and Washington kind of fell back to the pack. Um, it was just kind of a weird sort of stretch over the last month or so. Uh, I remember Zach Lowe did a podcast not long ago with Kevin Artovitz just kind of looking at the playoff picture and saying, hey, this is pretty much set in the Eastern Conference. It's not all that interesting. Uh, but of course, things change in a in a heartbeat in the NBA and in the Eastern Conference, and especially when everything was kind of clustered together. Um, so yeah, that that the, I think the Raptors are going to get the three seed. That seems pretty likely if they can win their next two games and hope for a Washington loss before Sunday, then the Raptors will be uh, sitting pretty there and uh, being able to you know rest that final game of the season, kind of to give it to Cleveland to ensure they get the one seed. Uh, so keep that in mind. As far as who the Raptors might play. <laughs> Who knows, man? There's, you know, the the Milwaukee seems like they're probably going to get the five seed. They're playing really well right now. They're half game up on Atlanta, and Atlanta's in a tailspin. Um, but that six, seven, eight, nine uh, between Atlanta, Chicago, Miami, and Indiana. Who knows? Chicago, Miami, Indiana are all tied right now. Um, and Atlanta, I do think, has the tiebreaker over Chicago. The Hawks are also tied with Miami and Indiana, and they, the the Hawks and Pacers play in the final game of the season. That could be for the eight seed uh, or one of those playoff spots. I mean, you could jump like six to nine with one loss in this Eastern Conference right now. Um, but I think Atlanta, because considering they have two games up in the loss column on both on all of those three teams, I think Atlanta's probably going to be in, and then it's down to Chicago, Miami, Indiana. 
And you're probably looking at either Atlanta or Chicago as the first round matchup for the Raptors because Chicago's closing schedule is so, so easy. They play the Sixers, Nets, Magic, and Nets. Um, and you you would figure that they can kind of take care of business there. Then again, they lost on Tuesday to the Knicks to kind of throw this entire Eastern Conference back into flux. So who knows with the Bulls? The Bulls are crazy and, and weird and unpredictable. But I would say if I was to handicap it, I'd say Atlanta 6, Chicago uh, at the 7, and then probably Miami with the with the eight i don't really know it's hard to say but if i was to guess i'd say the raptors would take on atlanta as a 3-6 matchup in the first round and we can get into that once it's more solidified but that's kind of your update on where the playoff picture is right now it's confusing things can change very quickly uh but you know sort of you know summarize it all the raptors are looking pretty good for the three seed the Cavs are looking pretty good for the one seed and uh that would be the ideal situation for the raptors to avoid cleveland until the conference finals get boston in round two a team that i think they can very much beat assuming boston gets out of the first round because if boston plays chicago who knows maybe jimmy butler just goes crazy and, and rips apart the team that wouldn't trade for him um we have no idea but i think if there's one team that's susceptible in the first round it's probably uh, boston i mean Washington Milwaukee could be an interesting series too. I think the Raptors might be kind of matchup proof. Uh, you know, Milwaukee would be interesting, but I just don't really see a team that's going to upend them in the first round. Once you get beyond that, who knows? But the Raptors can put themselves in a really good position by holding on to this three seed, closing out, getting these two wins, having Kyle Lowry sort of get reincorporated back into everything, and, and relying on him for another two wins in this final three game stretch. If they win all three of their games, they've clinched it themselves, and they're in the three seed. Although that final game could pull Cleveland out of number one, depending on what happens. It's all confusing it's all ridiculous it's still too early to even uh consider all these things even though there was some clarity kind of given last night it's just there's so much stuff that can change in a week's time uh which is crazy uh, i guess six days time at this point the nba season is only six days left it's crazy the playoffs are like nine days away can't wait um so I've talked in circles enough for today's show, so thank you so much. I'm going to wrap things up there. Uh, tomorrow, again, I'm going to have my conversation with Chris Zielinski, who's the culinary director of MLSE. So we'll have that. We'll chat about some arena food. We'll, we'll talk about hotline bling. Uh, lots of fun stuff, so stay tuned for that. Uh, next week, who knows what we'll get into. Probably a lot of play, playoff preview stuff if we get some clarity over the weekend as to where the Raptors are going to be and who they're going to play. So stay tuned there. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Follow the show at LockedOnRaptors. I uh, would really appreciate the feedback on the iTunes page. Leave a rating or a review. And if you want to advertise with the show, it's uh, an easy process to start. Just email lockedonrappers at gmail.com. If you're a company looking to advertise to 18 to 45-year-old males, it is uh, this is the perfect place to be. Obviously, five days a week, lots of chance for interaction with your audience. Uh, so please, if you're interested in that, please email lockedonrappers at gmail.com. We can start the process. Thank you so much for listening to Locked on Raptors episode 116. We'll be back again on Friday, and uh, have a great day. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17